Renaissance, good morning. Uh, this is Rich Perez, and I'm so grateful to be here with you guys. want to give a real shout out to uh, your pastors, in particular, Pastor Jordan and Jessica. So grateful for their friendship, grateful for the work that they're doing in our city. Uh, I love New York. I miss it. But I'm glad to be here with you guys, even virtually. Uh, it's a real honor. Before we start our time, I do want to take the moment to acknowledge the pain that our Asian American brothers and sisters are experiencing at the moment. You know, my parents are immigrants from the Dominican Republic. And one of the things that I've noticed about the immigrant life in this country is that seldom has the immigrant felt safe to be themselves. But this isn't new. The violent mistreatment, the violent intentional mistreatment of our brothers and sisters from the Asian American community is not new. The Chinese Exclusion Act in the 1800s, the Japanese internment camps, just to name a few examples of how our country has never welcomed the other. Church, the more that I think about uh, discipleship and the way of Jesus, the more I'm convinced that the way of Jesus is one of compassion and welcome and great imagination. You see, when you disciple someone, you can't also erase them. Discipleship is not about erasing, but rather about creating and about healing. And the acts that we've been seeing, and in particular the acts that we saw in the city that our family now finds itself in, Atlanta, were violent. And they weren't intention, and they weren't senseless. They were intentional. This is the intention of white supremacy. To erase, to harm. And I say this on behalf of myself. I know that your pastors and your leaders are huge advocates for justice. But I say this on behalf of myself and where I find myself at the moment. So if you're gonna send anybody an email, send it to me. But to my Asian American brothers and sisters that may be watching this, we love you. And you belong here no matter what happens to you or to the community that you are a part of. You belong here. And we stand in solidarity for your justice, for the justice that rightly belongs to you and to us. And you belong here not because we say it, not because I say it, but because the way of Jesus stamps it. The news of Jesus Christ on the cross and the empty tomb says that you belong. And so we, as children, born of this gospel, will proclaim the same. We love you guys, and we stand in solidarity with the justice that is due to you. You know, as I reflect on where our world is, coming off of 2020, the social unrest that has been happening, quite frankly, for decades, for centuries, and more recently, the ones that we've been living through, the pandemic, the inequity that we've seen as a result of the pandemic, 
I can't help but to think of how exhausted some of us may feel. Can't help to think of how pained and wounded we are just from the year that we've had to live through. And so I wanted to turn our attention to Psalm 23, a psalm that has been a place of refreshment for me, and I'm hoping today is a refreshment to you. Now, I won't cover all of the psalm, but I will focus on one particular verse. Verse 2. And if today's sermon had a title, I'd call it Safe and Satisfied. Safe and Satisfied. So why don't you turn with me to Psalm 23. We'll read the whole psalm, but we'll focus just on verse 2. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and mercy, only goodness and faithful love, I should say, will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. These are not simply just pages in a book or words on pages, but this is an opportunity to see your face and engage with your presence. Holy Spirit, do what I could never do, and that is to bring us into the presence of God and help me to get out of the way that we may experience our Father together. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> this is a really beautiful song. It's an encouraging one, in fact, but I should say it's a challenging one. Coming off of this year, as I said before, many of us may be feeling exhausted, hungry for refreshment, hungry for a place where we can feel safe. And even in light of some of what I've mentioned earlier, where is this safe place for us? Especially if you're part of a marginalized community, you may be asking yourself that perhaps a bit more. Where is there a safe place for me? Well, Psalm 23 gives us somewhat of an answer. The very first verse kind of gives us an intro of the psalm. It lays uh, lays out what the rest of the psalm will be, and it kind of speaks to the limits and needs that we have, but it also speaks to the limitlessness of God's provision. But embracing our limits is quite a difficult thing to do. You see, if the opening verse told us about who God is, then the following verses tell us how he lives up to those things. The Lord is my shepherd. In the remaining verses, he describes how he is the shepherd. Notice what he sings for the rest of this song, because this is a song. And I've always been an advocate of the arts, poetry, 
because they inspire imagination and they create a world real enough for us to enter. And so this psalm is in fact a creative expression of David and his God. He says, let, he lets me lie down. He leads me. He renews me. He directs me. In danger, he is with me. You comfort me. You prepare for me. You anoint my head. You see, the rest of these verses tell us how God invites us to know him and rest in him as his children. Now listen, to our very independent, make-your-own-decision kind of culture, verse 2 is a little off-putting, isn't it? Look, he says, he lets me lie down in green pastures. Now you almost say to yourself, let me take off these glasses, I'm about to get in it. Now he almost says, you almost say to yourself as you hear that verse, Pastor Rich, don't nobody let me do anything. <laughs> I'm entitled to do what I want, when I want, in this free country. But Renaissance, if I'm honest, when I sat with this a bit more and I tried to understand its tone, I began to see this less as God granting us permission and more like God offering us an invitation. So less like granting permission and more like inviting or offering an invitation. You see, this is a radical invitation, Renaissance. This is an invitation to a culture where stopping, laying down, and resting is tragically absent. The invitation by God can be terrifying. Now, let me tell you why I think this invitation is terrifying. Because lying down, stopping, resting can only mean a few things. It means that you're satisfied, that you're happy and content with whatever you were working on. And it's terrifying because then you have to understand yourself beyond what you do, beyond what you produce. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, Pastor Rich, why would I be terrified to be satisfied? Why would I be terrified to be satisfied? It doesn't make any sense. Now let me, play, let me make this plain. Look, it's terrifying to define yourself beyond what you do, beyond what you produce, because we still don't know how to think of ourselves more than what we produce. We still don't think that we are more than what we produce. If a sheep lies down, it's really just for one of two reasons, or for two reasons. One, the sheep is satisfied, grazing the field. Or two, the sheep feels safe in the presence of the shepherd. Now, I want us to look closely at these two reasons for the rest of our sermon. Because I think in, in looking closely at them, we'll discover how God is inviting us to do the same. To feel satisfied and to feel safe. It's interesting when you read this part of the psalm, we tend to think of it <clears throat> as these green pastures, as abundant and lush green pastures. But Renaissance, historically and geographically, that's not totally true. Israel was a very arid land. It doesn't rain much there, and green pastures are not lush, they're patchy. 
And if it wasn't for the shepherd, the sheep would graze patchy greens forever. The shepherd needed to know when it was time to keep the sheep moving. It makes me think about Israel in the wilderness, those 40 years. It was a place that didn't offer them much. The geography, the typography of the land, of the wilderness that they traveled for an entire generation didn't offer them much. And yet in a place that doesn't offer much, God was able to provide for and sustain an entire nation for 40 years. Giving them just what they needed each day for every one of those years. But having what you need for the day isn't, what, isn't how we often operate, is it? Right? Having what you need for the day isn't how we normally operate. We're constantly being pulled to think about what's next, the next meal, the next opportunity. And because of that, we have trouble receiving from God just the day's portion. You see, we hope that we could, we hope that he could give us instead what we need for the month or rather for the year. Instead of just for the day. Because that seems safer. It makes us feel more secure about our situation, when we have a week's worth, a month's worth. You know, I shared with my kids the other day about our friend, Domingo. Domingo is homeless and unemployed. Every day, every day he went to the Love Kitchen, which is the local food pantry that our <clears throat> community was partnered with while we were in New York. And every day he gets online and receives a hot meal for the day. He did this every single day. And every day he made that line. <laughs> he had to. And every day he engaged with the volunteers who served him. And I'm sure that there were days that he was just not up for that. Not because he didn't want to eat but because it didn't, he didn't want to bear the burden of living with that kind of need. And I'm sure that there were days that he may have wanted to leave with more than just one meal, maybe meals for, the, for a few days so that he wouldn't have to come back, so that he wouldn't have to make that line, so that he wouldn't have to bear that burden of that need. But the love kitchen gave him only one meal a day. But guess what coming back every day offered Domingo? Having to come back daily gave him the opportunity to develop relationship with those that were serving him. He learned their names, their stories, and their purpose. He learned what brings them joy and why in the world they were even there to begin with. Church, here's what I'm trying to say. God gives us daily bread, not as a cruel joke, but as a loving invitation. You see, here's the key. He feeds us with bread, but he satisfies us with his company. God feeds you with bread, but he satisfies you with his company. 
You see, if anything I heard as I read this story and as I even studied the wilderness time of Israel's history, it's this, that we don't survive the wilderness on borrowed faith. You don't survive your wilderness off the faith of your friend. Now let me be clear, the faith of your friend, and we've seen this even in the Gospels, the faith of your friend on your behalf, on your behalf is incredibly powerful. But you don't survive the wilderness on borrowed faith. You see, we don't persevere in a difficult season on monthly bread, but daily. Not because of the bread, but because of the company of the one who's bringing us the bread. And when you sit and you eat this meal that God prepares for you, you can taste the generosity and kindness. You savor the compassion of God. Every bite is filled with goodness and intention. You smell the seasoning of God's mercy just a bit more. This is the invitation that we hear when David says, he lets me lie down in green pastures. This is the invitation we hear when David says, he lets me lie down in green pastures. This is the invitation echoed by Jesus, the good shepherd, in Matthew 15, verse 32, when he says, I have compassion on the crowds because they've already stayed with me three days and they have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, otherwise they might collapse on the way. What is Jesus saying, church? Jesus sees that this journey is impossible without his compassion, without his provision. Church, Jesus invites us to eat the bread, but to be satisfied with his company. This is the invitation Jesus offers when he feeds a crowd of thousands with seven pieces of bread and a few fishes and still has less leftovers. Church, it wasn't the bread that satisfied them. It was the one who blessed it. It wasn't what was done that matters deeply. It was who did it. God has a deep desire to satisfy you like no one else can. The question is, church, will you allow him? But a sheep is also able to rest when she feels safe. Not only is a sheep able to rest when they feel satisfied, but they're also able to rest when they feel safe. Now let me hit y'all with some, with some facts here about sheep. We, we all live in cities and have been far removed from pastures and all that. But did you know that sheep have re rectangular pupils? As opposed to circular ones or spherical ones like we do? Sheep have nearly perfect peripheral vision, 320 degrees, in fact. In other words, standing in one position, sheep can see all around them. They can see behind them without having to turn their heads, which is kind of freaky. But what they have in periphery, they lack in depth. In other words, what you can see around you, you can't see right in front of you. Let me make this plain. Sheep can see anything around them, but they have trouble making out what's right in front of them. 
Not to mention that sheep don't have claws. They don't run fast. They don't have sharp teeth. They are in many ways defenseless. In the wild, sheep are the prey, not the predator. They're constantly being hunted. And very few times do they feel like they can settle down somewhere and rest. Now, church, imagine for a moment that you are a sheep, a literal sheep. Imagine being able to see all around you, but not in front of you. Imagine having ultra-sensitive hearing that goes as far as hundreds of yards. Imagine constantly wondering what animals are around hunting you and realizing that you would be practically defenseless if they came. Any little movement, any little sound, any little unfamiliarity could trigger fear or worry or anxiety. Which is no wonder to me that the shepherd leads them to quiet waters. Because any kind of, any other kind of water, rustling water, a brook, a river that makes noise because it's streaming quickly, it would distract the sheep and keep them from the very refreshment they came for. This is why in his 2007 study, Dr. Keith Kendrick, who studies animals and their social behavior, says that sheep have the ability to remember the faces of up to 50 other sheep and people for up to two years. That's an interesting fact because sheep have this ability as a way to create places and people that they can feel safe with because so much of their lives is filled with challenge. Church, this past summer for me was really difficult. <clears throat> Went through a lot of loss, a lot of shifts, a lot of things that caused worry and anxiety. And during my moments of deepest anxieties in these past several months in those summer, in the summertime, I noticed that the places where I was able to truly rest were the places that didn't make me feel like I had any demands on me. Where I was able to exist without any obligations but to be myself. And in those days, myself was a mess. I was broken, I was insecure, I was fearful, I was fragile. And if I pretended to be anything else for one moment, I was gonna explode. And I was tired quite a bit during those days, mentally and emotionally and physically. And yet the only places I realized I could truly lie down were the places that made me feel safe. The place that didn't make me feel like I needed to pretend or ignore what I was experiencing. The places that welcomed me as I was and where love and intimacy weren't in jeopardy because of me. Very important. The places that felt most safe were the places where love and intimacy weren't in jeopardy because of me. Safe is being able to walk into a room and not feeling obligated to be anyone but yourself in order to make a connection or in order to experience intimacy. That's safety. A friend shared with a group of, of, of friends a few weeks ago, He said, we often walk into a room calculating who needs me to be what to them so that I can be the thing they need me to be. Because then I can secure a connection with that person. He goes on to say, we spend our days wearing masks just so that we can make connections, just so that we can make 
intimacy. And I thought to myself, man, that is profoundly true. And it's not just for pastors and leaders who he was saying it to. It's for all of us. We will wear masks all day if it means we can secure connection in return. We will go as far as never being ourselves only considering what others want from us just to satisfy them and yet never show them our true selves. Listen to how author Thomas Green says it in his book, The Gift of Becoming Yourself. If you haven't picked it up, pick it up. It's a great book. But listen to what he says. He says, many say that it is difficult to know God since we cannot see him or hear him or touch him as we do another human being. That is true, of course, but I have become convinced that the greatest obstacle to real discernment and to a genuine growth in prayer is not the intangible nature of God, but our own lack of self-knowledge, our unwillingness to know ourselves as we are. Almost all of us wear masks, not only when facing each other, but even when looking into a mirror. Here's the thing, we don't even get intimacy when we wear masks. Because you spend the day wearing a mask, any connection people experienced with you wasn't truly with you. But the greater tragedy is that we function like this even with God. But church, you see, God wants to love you, not your mask. But to take off your mask is risky, isn't it? To take off your mask, you're not sure if it's safe. And love is risky and love is painful. But I wonder if it felt risky for the woman at the well when Jesus was talking to her about her different kind of about the different kind of water that she could drink. God desires to love us. And if we're going to have a dip, deeper experience of God, then we're going to have to allow ourselves to be touched by his love. Because God can only be known through devotion, not simply knowledge. If we're going to allow God to love us and allow ourselves to be loved by God, then we're going to have to allow God and those that he sends to us into the parts of us that we've kept locked away. If you want God to love all of you, then you have to allow all of you to be seen. Because the safest place our souls can rest is, in fact, love. This is why in 1 John chapter 4, 18, it says, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So that no one who fears is not complete. So that the one who fears is not complete in love. Now, this 1 John passage is not assuming that we'll never feel fear. Neither is it saying that we have failed if we do feel fear. Rather, I think this, chap this verse in 1 John is inviting us to respond to our fears by embracing perfect love, which rules out the possibility of being punished just because there are things about you that you feel are unlovable. You know, sometimes I think God is just simply inviting us to waste time with him. 
Have you ever had a friend just come over the crib and kick it with you? Maybe you haven't spent a ton, of your, a ton of time with them. If they're vaccinated, of course, or if they're COVID tested and COVID free. But maybe you haven't spent a ton of time with this friend, but then after years or after months, they just come to the crib, y'all kick it, and it feels normal. And maybe y'all talk very little. Maybe you just spent the time together watching a show, a game, or simply just being in each other's company. Almost as if you've wasted time together. And I hope you hear me. I don't mean that in a negative way, like you've thrown time away, but you've just spent it with them. No agenda, no schedule, just time going by in each other's company. It's comforting. Even though you didn't speak, you feel like you were together. Even though, like, even though you didn't engage in profound conversation, but y'all just kicked it watching TV, you felt like it was refreshing to your soul. Sometimes I think God is just simply inviting us to waste time with him. Now, Renaissance, I want you to do something for me. I want you to engage your imagination for a moment. And close your eyes. Close your eyes or remove yourself from any distraction. And I'm aware that this could be difficult for some of you, and, and that's okay. Don't judge yourself for having a harder time with this. Talk to yourself nice. But if you can and are able, close your eyes or try to remove some distractions and imagine laying in an open field. Maybe it's Marcus Garvey Park in Harlem or if you're further uptown, maybe it's Fort Triumph Park. I miss that place. Or maybe it's Central Park. But imagine yourself laying there totally satisfied, not hungry. And although you're sitting there alone, you don't feel lonely. All of your work for the day is done. You feel totally safe. You're not worried about a work project or your next meal or your kids' schoolwork. You're not fearful of a bill that needs to get paid. You're not concerned about a discomfort that you're feeling in your body. You're just laying, taking deep breaths in and out and feeling safe and feeling comforted. And then all of a sudden, uh, you feel a wind blow by you. But the wind doesn't just leave, kind of settles right where you are. It's not a cold wind, it's a welcoming, warm wind. And just as you open your eyes, you hear Jesus' voice say this. Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people have been coming and going, and you have not even had time to eat. 
Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. Your love that has invited us into what feels like the impossible. Feeling safe and satisfied. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would plant these seeds in the hearts of your people deeply. And that you may water them. And that we may see them grow into strong, tall roots, trees. God, you're a gift to us and we receive it today. May you remove any obstacles that stand in the way of receiving this gift. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.